And now, I always think we are going to dive a little bit into a little bit further into this story this week. And if you missed last week or you've forgotten since then, which I know it's been a whole week, let me remind you of what's happened so far in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel is a very strange prophet. In fact, as I mentioned last week, all scholars pretty much agree that Ezekiel is by far the most bizarre. And God takes Ezekiel on a trip. He takes him to a valley. And in this valley, there's nothing but dead people, people that died long ago, corpses, or what we would call dry bones. And God takes Ezekiel all around these dry bones. And in verse 3, God asks Ezekiel a really important question that we're about to talk about. Can these bones live? Is it possible that they could come alive again? And Ezekiel gives the right answer, and he says, oh, Lord, you know. So God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones, preach, in other words, preach to these dead people, preach to these bones. And as he starts to preach to them, Ezekiel's obedient to that. He starts preaching to the bones, and then he hears this this sound, a rattling sound. and The bones start coming back together. They're coming alive again. And that's where we stopped last week. We stopped at verse 7, and I ask you this question, can these bones live that's the question that God asked Ezekiel in verse 3, and that was my, my take-home question for you last week, is to think about that question. Take uh, some time each day during the week to reflect on this question that God asked Ezekiel. Can these bones live? Do it prayerfully. Think about it. Dwell on it. Who are the bones? What does that mean for you in your own life? And I'm not sure if any of you actually did that, but if you did, I wonder what God might have revealed to you. Can these bones live? What would that mean to you in your own life? Could it be the dry bones of your own heart? Maybe your own life? Maybe broken relationships that need to be reconciled? Maybe old sin habits that need to be confronted and dealt with? Or maybe pain in your own heart? Maybe the dry bones is something within you. Maybe the dry bones is within our nation that seems to be in desperate need for racial reconciliation, for unity rather than division, for love instead of hate. Maybe it's a country, and we see, we look around our country, and maybe the dry bones that you see is a country that seems to be divided by politics. And if you look on social media, or maybe it's just me, it seems like everybody is so forceful and so condemning, and I look at that and I think there's dry bones right there. It's all around us. Maybe dry bones for you, can these bones live? It might be COVID-19 and everything that we've gone through and everything that you've endured over the last three months, maybe financial issues, job loss, whatever else may come with it, or maybe just an overall apathy towards life, which seems to be the case in so many people right now. Not just an apathy towards life, but an apathy towards faith. Maybe that's the dry bones. Can these bones live? Well, we know for Ezekiel, the dry bones, it's the whole house of Israel. They've been in exile in Babylon for many years. And they, they are the dry bones. But for us, for you, what comes to mind? What do you think of today as dry bones? Well, Ezekiel's preaching to these dry bones And they start coming together. He hears the rattling noise, and we're going to pick up in verse 8. We're going to kind of go through this. So starting in verse 8, picking up where we left off last week, 
I looked, and there were sinews on them, connective tissue. It's the body. It's not just the bones, but everything's coming together. Flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. I mentioned last week, it's this Hebrew word, ruach, and we're about to talk about that word. But what happens in verse 8 is as Ezekiel is preaching to these dry bones, they start coming alive, sort of. They look like real humans now. It's not just bones, but it's connective tissue, it's skin. They're there. They look alive, but they're not fully alive yet. Something is missing. Have you ever felt like that? I feel like this pretty much every morning. I'm not a morning person. Is anybody else with me on that? Is anybody else not a morning person? Okay, I see a few hands. When I wake up in the mornings, this is how I feel. And this is kind of a good drawing for those who are in the house that can see it. It's a cup of coffee, and it looks like some sort of plug-in going towards close to your brain. And I'm tired in the mornings. I'm not a morning person. My back hurts. I don't feel like getting out of bed most mornings unless I really need to be somewhere. My wife will get up before me, and she's very kind and And most mornings, she'll make me a cup of coffee and come set it beside the bed. And I'm not kidding. I'm to the point now where I lift myself up, I grab the cup of coffee, and I start drinking it, and I wait about 15, 20 minutes. And then when the caffeine is kicked in, it's like, now I can get out of bed and start moving. Anybody else like that? Okay, I I hope I'm not alone in that. Some of you are probably judging me right now, but that's how my life is. I I, I listened to a book on Audible uh, a few months ago. It came out recently. It's written by a guy named Michael Pollan, and the book is called Caffeine. And the book is a history of caffeine. Caffeine has not always been around. It was discovered by, we think, by a farmer in East Africa several hundred years ago. And he gives this history of caffeine and how it's worked in human beings and how really having access to caffeine has won or lost some wars. He says that the Industrial Revolution would not have been possible without caffeine. There's so much that's happened over the last several hundred years that was made possible because human beings had access to caffeine. The problem is, for those of you, we got some caffeine drinkers in here. Let's be honest, okay? Most people are raising your hand. If not, don't start. But coffee, tea, soda, energy drinks, however you drink your caffeine, for the most part... People drink caffeine, and we've been drinking it for a long time. It's one of the only drugs we actually give to kids, is what he talks about in the book, but we build up a tolerance to it. And when we build up a tolerance to it, we don't feel that energy rush or that caffeine rush anymore. What it does for us is it returns us to what he would call a baseline consciousness. So we, our brains... When, we drink, when I drink that morning cup of coffee or whatever you drink, it kind of lifts that fog so that you can just feel normal. Not that you feel, woo, energetic. It's just you feel normal. Now, I'm thinking of all of this when I'm reading Ezekiel 37 and verse 8 because these bones have come together. They have skin on them, but they're missing something. They look alive, but they're not quite alive yet. They need something to perk them up. They need something to give them life again, to make them feel hope again, because without hope, what's the point of life? But what they don't need is just a cup of coffee. What they don't need is just a little energy boost. They need something much deeper than that. And what these dry bones need in Ezekiel 37 is they need the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, which is what we all need. 
So this is what God tells Ezekiel in verse 9 and 10. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, or the ruach. Pay attention to that word. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. So now Ezekiel's continuing to be obedient to what God is telling him to do, and he says, prophesy to the breath or the spirit or the wind. Now, I've mentioned over and over, we talked about it last week, the Hebrew word that's used here is this word, ruach, and I'm probably not pronouncing it exactly right, but the way it's translated in English is either breath, spirit, or wind. So it's a word that is very important in our Bibles and throughout both Old and New Testament. And if I were giving you a Bible quiz right now, I'd ask you, where do we first see this word in the Bible, this ruach? We see it in Genesis. I heard some people say Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, at the very beginning of creation, it says, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, now I'm reading from an NRSV, it says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while the wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Or some of your translations, if you were reading from another translation, may say, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So we see the Holy Spirit of God, this Ruach of God, from the very beginning, from creation. Now, if you were to take that word wind, it could be breath, wind, or spirit. There's a Hebrew scholar that I've been reading recently. His name is Robert Alter, and he did his own translation of the Hebrew text. And in Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 9, he says that wind is actually a better translation than breath. So prophesy Ezekiel to the wind. Now, think about wind for just a second. What do we know about wind? Well, we can't see it. But we can feel the effects, and we know that wind can be very powerful. And I'm thinking of Easter Sunday, I think it was April 12th, earlier this year. Do you remember that day? We we weren't here at the building. We were still doing online-only worship, and the morning started with a pretty bad storm that came through. Uh, We were seeing on the news, our phone was giving us, woke us up, giving us updates. We're under tornado watch, and then... I think it was around 7.30 a.m. or so, where we live in White Oak, the tornado sirens started going off. And so we got the kids out of bed, we got in the hallway to take cover, this bad storm came through, and then it passed by and seemed like everything was okay. The sun eventually came out. Now, you can see the effects of the storm. There, were, there was debris and sticks all over the backyard and all over the streets, but it turned out to be a pretty nice day. Well, that evening, we could hear somebody preaching. It was weird. We, you, know, you know, nobody was meeting at buildings at that time, but we could hear somebody preaching. So we got in the car and we thought, let's go drive around and figure out where the street preacher is coming from. And if you live in White Oak, you go down White Oak Road, there's a few small churches, and somebody was having an outdoor service. We found them, but as we found them, the second storm that day came through very quickly. And that Easter evening, the storm comes through, and the wind is ferocious and strong, and all of a sudden, we're caught up in the storm, and the trees are swaying and bending over. There's stuff flying across the road, so I was like, i got to get my family home quickly. So I drove home as fast as I could. We pulled up to the house, and we normally go in and out through the garage door. The electricity was already out, so we couldn't get in through the garage door. I went and unlocked the front door, and we had left the chain on it to prevent little kids from running out. 
So I had to put my shoulder into it and bust the door down, which it's the door frame is still broken, by the way, if anybody that's up to fixing it for me, I've tried. But that was, that was how we got in the house. The electricity was already out. We sent the kids into the hallway again for the second time that day. And I, when they were taking cover, I just went and I looked out the back window. And I still have a video of it. It was just this amazing wind coming through. And you could see the trees almost bending over. I saw the kids' toys in the backyard just flying across the backyard. And I thought, man, this is the strongest wind I think I've ever seen. That's what wind does. You don't see the wind, but you feel the effects of it, and you can see the aftermath of the wind. And it's this wind of God, the Spirit of God, the breath of God that was there from creation that is there in Ezekiel 37, telling Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath or prophesy to the wind, to the Spirit of God. It reminds me of John chapter 3. Which you can turn over there if you'd like, but we're going to finish up in Ezekiel 37. So I'll paraphrase some of this, but in John chapter 3, you might know this story already, but Jesus, during his life and ministry, there's a man named Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, who comes up to Jesus at nighttime. He comes to Jesus at night because he probably does not want to be seen. But he compliments Jesus. He says, we know that you are from God. We know that there's something special happening with you because otherwise, if God had not sent you, you couldn't do all these things. And then Jesus takes this conversation to a very different level. If you're familiar with the story, he says, unless you're born again, unless you're born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Which is strange. I'm sure Nicodemus was like, what? You know, that was not why he was having the conversation. He didn't know what it meant. So he, Nicodemus says to Jesus, but how can you be born again? How can me in an older age re-enter my mother's womb? And then Jesus in John chapter 3, and I want to read verse 5 through 8, says this to Nicodemus. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and what? Spirit. Pay attention to that word spirit and notice the word wind. Verse 6, what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above, or some of your translations say born again. In verse 8, Jesus says, the wind, pay attention to that word, the wind blows where it chooses. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, Jesus uses these two words that we see in our English translations as being born of the water and the Spirit, and then he all of a sudden talks about the wind, which just seems like that comes out of nowhere. The wind blows where it chooses. You know, nobody can control the wind. The Greek word that Jesus uses, because the New Testament was written in Greek, is this word pneuma. And the word pneuma can be translated in English as either breath, wind, or spirit. So it's the same as the Hebrew word ruach, which is breath, wind, or spirit. And Jesus knows better than any human who's ever lived just how important this life-giving force really is. For Nicodemus, what Nicodemus needed to really truly be alive, to truly be in the kingdom of God, what all Christ's followers would need would be to be born again of the water and the spirit. And we know that through baptism. For the dry bones in Ezekiel 37, what they need, now that they've been formed into a human body again, what they really need is the ruach or the pneuma 
the breath, the wind, the Spirit of God so that they can truly live. And then in verse 11, God starts to explain to Ezekiel what he has just experienced, and he says to him, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. Why do they feel this way? Because they've been in exile in Babylon for years. They were forcefully taken away from their homes, and there's no hope in their minds of coming back, of redeeming what they once had, so they feel cut off. They feel like their hope is completely gone. Now, usually when we read these stories in the Bible, we might be able to identify with it. And we've experienced our own small exile over the last few months, which is partly why I've been drawn towards Ezekiel 37 as we start to reopen and come back together. And maybe in some ways you felt cut off, you felt like hope is gone. Maybe you can identify in small ways with how the Israelites would have felt. So in verse 12 and 13, God is going to kind of reaffirm or solidify what Ezekiel just experienced. In verse 12 and 13, he says this, Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and when I bring you up from your graves. O my people. This is interesting. This is about resurrection. This is, it's not just about dry bones forming into life. Again, this is God telling Ezekiel, what you just experienced with the dry bones coming to life is I'm going to bring them up out of their graves. So I think of these three words here, creation, resurrection, and gospel. I'm starting to put together the whole Ezekiel 37 story. In creation, we saw that Ruach of God, the Spirit of God or the wind of God that swept over the waters or the Spirit of God that hovered over the waters. And then in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, when God begins to create human beings, what does He put into Adam? He puts His breath. God creates. And the God who creates, what we see in this story, is the God who can also recreate, the God who can put back together. We see the resurrection in this story. I'm going to bring you up out of your graves. I'm going to give you life again. And as we read these stories like Ezekiel 37 through the lens of Jesus Christ and his story, we see the resurrection of Jesus. We see this promise that Jesus has given us of resurrection. And we also see the gospel in this story. For the Israelites who had been in captivity for all these years, all human beings also experience captivity of sin. And through the cross, through the death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus offers us not just forgiveness, but freedom from that. So in this Ezekiel 37 story, we can also see a gospel story. And then this section ends in verse 14. It says, I will put my ruach, my spirit, within you, and you will live, and I will place you on your own soil, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, thus says the Lord. So he ends by saying, I will put my spirit within you. I'm going to, that whole, the spirit, the breath, the wind, I am going to put that in you and you will live again. Now, I grew up in the churches of Christ. This is my heritage. Worked for a church of Christ for many years now. And there's one topic that I hear a lot over and over, not just from here, but from different churches is, 
We don't talk about the Holy Spirit very often. Right? We, people think that we tend to ignore it or we don't know how to talk about the Holy Spirit. And so it's an interesting topic to us, maybe because the Holy Spirit is a mysterious topic, and maybe we don't talk about it that often because, like Jesus tells Nicodemus, it's like the wind it blows where, where it chooses to blow. Like we as human beings, we don't even have a complete vocabulary to try to fully grasp what the Holy Spirit is. But what we do know is that to really be the people of God, the only way to live out our mission as a church, the only way to live out a Christ-like life is to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit that Jesus promises us at baptism is the way we have to live our lives. We have to harness the Spirit or harness the wind. I watched this movie earlier this week on Netflix called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. Has anybody seen it? It's about this young man named William Kumquabi or something like that. He's a young boy from Africa. Uh, he grew up in a poor family, and to go to school in most places in Africa, you have to actually pay school fees even to a public school. And his family couldn't afford to pay the school fees, and so he eventually gets kicked out of school, which was devastating to him. But their land was experiencing a famine at the same time, and so things were getting pretty bad for him, his family, for his village, and for his whole country. And this boy, because he was smart and because he was resourceful, figured out how to make a windmill and then use the wind, or as you see from the title of the movie, harness the wind to create electricity. This boy, a 14-year-old boy, harnessed the wind through a windmill, created electricity, hooked it up to a water pump, and they were able to get water so they could water their crops and take care of their family and feed their family and take care of others in his village and then be able to go back to school. All because the smart young man learned how to harness the wind, how to take the wind that's there and use it to put him in the direction that he needs to go in. There's a, an author that I like named Martin Laird. He wrote a book called um, Into the Silent Land. And there's this quote I want to share from you from his book. And I think it relates to this topic today and, and what's going on right now in our world. But Martin Laird says this, Wisdom, health, life, and love cannot be found in trying to control the wind, but rather in harnessing the wind in the cells of receptive engagement of the present moment. I know you haven't read the book, and I know I'm kind of taking this out of the context of the book, but the reason I was drawn towards this quote is because he says that what we need for life is not to resist the wind, but kind of like a sailor who uses the wind to his advantage to take him where he needs to go. That's what we need to do is harness the wind. So this is what I think of when I'm thinking of Ezekiel 37. I think about our own church during the summer of 2020, trying to come back together, a life on the other side of quarantine, and I know the virus isn't over yet, but what will our church be like? What will other churches be like? And the most important thing that we can do is to harness the wind, is to get in line with the Holy Spirit. Instead of resisting, go with where the Holy Spirit is leading us, and that requires some spiritual discernment. So as a church, maybe we can pray that these bones can live again, whatever that may mean for you or for us as a church, maybe, or even for our country. Maybe we can pray that we can have the ears to hear 
that rattling sound. Maybe we can pray that God will fill us once again in a fresh way with His Spirit, just like He promised in Ezekiel 37. And may we have the eyes and the ears to hear that and to get in line with how the Holy Spirit is leading us. And as Jesus talks to to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3, if you want to be born again, you have to be born of the water and the Spirit. You know, maybe that's the place where it starts for you. As we've already mentioned at the beginning, we've celebrated two most recent baptisms of receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit, which is where true life, eternal life begins. And maybe that's the place where you're at, or maybe you feel like dry bones because of so many various reasons of what's going on right now. And we want you to know whether you're here in the room with us, which I'm looking at the people in the room, but I'm also trying to remember to look at this camera back here. If you're at home and you're feeling like dry bones and you need to reach out, you can email our elders, you can call us, you can contact us. If you're in the room right now, uh, I'm going to be up front over over the next few minutes. Uh, Jim Green will be up front with me, and some of our shepherds will be around the room. And if you need to respond in any way, please come find us. And I want to invite you to stand back up as